Hey everyone, this is Steve C. from Discourse from the Big Chair and OptimismVaccine.com. Normally I don't do little intros like this, but I need to warn you, this week's episode has some audio issues. We had kind of a weird recording setup because we decided to do things live, and what ended up happening was some of the audio files got corrupted. So this happens around the 21-minute mark, and then again around the 43-minute mark. What I decided to do was re-upload the podcast and kind of cut this stuff out because it's just, it's unlistenable. We sound like robots underwater. It's not pleasant. And, you know, I, I want to give you guys the best listening experience. Now, the problem here is it does kind of cut into the flow of the podcast. You lose some of the narrative. Steve Coleman actually tells a great story about meeting Tears for Fears and kind of having this awkward exchange with them. And hopefully we can share that story with you again some other time. But I just want to give you a heads up that... This week's episode is going to be a little bit different, and I apologize, and moving forward, we're going to make sure that we minimize issues like this. So thanks again for listening, and uh, enjoy the show. Welcome back to Discourse from the Big Chair, and we are recording live. That's right, live from the mean streets of Shorewood. So, you know, if you hear some cars outside, maybe a couple of ambulance sirens or, uh, you know, anything of that nature, there's a reason why. And we're not talking Rick Ocasek cars. (laughs) No. (laughs) We're talking uh, apartment at a major intersection in a major American city type of cars. Anyway... Uh, I am back again with Steve Coleman, and I am Steve Cuff, and if this is your first time listening to Discourse in the Big Chair, what are you doing with yourself? There are plenty of other places where you should start, namely episode one. If you're new to the podcast, here's how this works. About a year ago, I was not a Tears for Fears fan. In fact, one of my favorite pastimes was mocking Steve Coleman for loving Tears for Fears. So... He decided to take me on a podcasting journey where he would introduce me to each one of Tears for Fears' albums one by one, and then we would go to a concert, and then hopefully I would convert to Superfan. And I did. I'm a big fan. We we are back again a year later, even though we've gone through all the albums, for a couple of reasons. One, the fans demanded. They demanded. They said, Steve didn't listen to this. Steve didn't listen to that. You got to make him do this. So we're like, okay, we got some other stuff we need to do. Top of that, we are going to see Tears for Fears on September, is it 26? There we go, in Grand Rapids, Mm -hmm. Michigan. So, in preparation for that show, we figured we'd knock out a couple more episodes for you guys. Now, this week is a little bit different because usually we go through just songs, albums, things of that nature. And this week, not only are we recording live, but... Steve Coleman had me watch a whole bunch of live footage. Is this was this your plan all along, Steve? Uh, this was the only option that I had at, on the table. <laughs> that was the only thing I wanted you to do, and it took us eight episodes to do it. Fair enough. <laughs> this is one of the more interesting weeks that I've had for Tears for Fears cramming, <laughs> to say the least. I watched scenes from the big chair. This week, which you informed me that you have seen so many times that you basically have the whole thing memorized. It's right up here. I'm pointing at my head right All now. Up in the dome piece? Yep. That is impressive. First thing I ever purchased off of eBay. Huh. Well, yeah, I mean, that DVD probably came out 2002? 
That's 2005. I, wow. I got the VHS version. Okay. And I remember being really upset because it clearly came from some used video store, and uh, the case was sun-bleached. Ooh. That's but rough. the video was still in good shape. <laughs> the actual cassette was good. Uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed this, and, and we're going to get into it in a minute, but I just want to say, and this is across the board for the one, two, three, four, five Tears for Fears DVDs that you loaned me. Were these DVDs like the menus? Were they designed by like uh, a Filipino child labor force or something? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> just the just the jankiest DVD menus. Like there's uh, on scenes from the big chair. There's just like an actual like pixelated black tier that you use to select. Yeah. <laughs> like what you want to watch? It's a little rough around the edges. Mm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, I, yeah, but I mean, these these are older, so I guess I'll give it a pass. But I was just like, oh, God, what am I getting myself into? But thankfully, the documentary itself is uh, it's pretty interesting. So it's kind of this weird mashup of like behind-the-scenes tour footage and documentary-style interviews, and then those are kind of spliced together with music videos, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, very bizarre package. Um, I don't know if it's like just like a thing they did in the 80s with artists, but... Uh, I'm not really sure what the artistic direction was, because mm-hmm. uh, it's not really that like in depth. But there are like little nuggets of information that you get from them yeah. that you wouldn't elsewhere get elsewhere. But sure, and I, I like it because I mean this is clearly a very serious band, and this whole experience watching these DVDs. The one thing that I think I took away from it is these guys are really like studio rats, you know, and they kind of touch on that. In scenes from the big chair where they talk about how they really didn't enjoy playing live because they didn't feel like they were able to connect with audiences in the way that they wanted to. Mm -hmm. But my favorite part in the whole thing is actually in the beginning when they're interviewing the guys about how they met and I forget who, I think it was Roland said that he thought Kurt was like a foreign exchange student because his skin was dark and he was wearing a turban. (laughs) (laughs) I think Kurt Smith says he was wearing a turban just to joke because he finds it ridiculous that Roland Orsbull thought that he was Indian. Yeah, literally like the two most English-looking people I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, what? And then Kurt thought that Roland was a French exchange student. Mm-hmm. I guess Roland looks like a French guy. Fair enough. Uh, there's... A weird mix of music videos on here because some of them are just traditional music videos and other ones are these weird like hybrids between music videos and what I can only imagine are like promotional things done by the record label. Uh, And I also learned because I haven't watched too many Tears for Fears music videos all the way through. They're weird as shit. (laughs) Like... At once, they're very of their time, very 1980s, and at the same time, there's there's just like there's something really off and odd about almost every single one of their videos, and it's crazy too because we're talking smash hit songs, which is absolutely batshit insane music videos, and they became hit songs off the back of these music mm-hmm. videos too. Uh, this is the height of MTV, and uh, they were right up right in that wave. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, <clears throat> Everybody wants to rule the world. What's with the, the guys, like, dancing at the gas station? Well, there's actually, interestingly enough, uh, so the entire documentary is 
directed by Nigel Dick, who directed all their music videos. Yeah, and he's a big time music director too. Like, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, and he got a start working with Tears for Fears. Oh, uh, the first music video he ever directed was the version of Mother's Talk that we have in this DVD. Okay, and um, the story goes, he's actually Nigel Dick just posted a video about making the music video for Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there was going to be this entire narrative where Kurt Smith's going to be driving around looking for a specific auto part. Mm-hmm. But something happened with, like, equipment wasn't working right, so they had to abandon the narrative, and we just have this sort of bizarre thing where he's just driving around aimlessly. Yeah. And apparently the record label, when Nigel Dick did Shout, mm-hmm. the American record label's like, this video is crap, this isn't going to play in America, mm-hmm. and you need to, if we even release this album in the U.S., you need to make a better video for everybody who wants to rule the world. <laughs> And so I thought, well, I'm going to make this as American as possible. Just have Kurt Smith ride in the uh, California desert. Hmm. Yeah. Cars, deserts, black guys dancing. What's more American? <laughs> and apparently there were supposed to be three guys, but the third guy didn't show up. And they were going to do this grandiose, like, ZZ Top parody. Mm-hmm. And the third guy didn't show up, so they just said, well, put on your tuxes and... Uh, Dance around? Do a little jig. <laughs> the best part about this, too, is... I had never seen that music video all the way through. Mm-hmm. And then I saw that part, and this light bulb turned on for me because I've seen a gif of those guys dancing. <laughs> like, it's been an internet thing for over a decade. Mm-hmm. Like, I probably saw that gif in, like, 2002 or something like that. And then to finally have context for it, I was just like, oh, my God! <laughs> I've, always, I've kind of admired just that bizarre atmosphere of that video and, like, that scene specifically. Just... Yeah. Two guys in what looks like almost an abandoned gas station just dancing to the bridge. Because it's like, what are we going to do in the bridge of the song? And then it cuts to, like, shots of Roland Orzabal, like, smiling. Like, I don't know if he's reacting to them dancing. Yeah. Or it's an interesting artistic choice. I'm glad you mentioned Shout, too, because I also noticed that throughout their music videos, there's a lot of just Shout moments, which are moments where they're just standing outside, like, looking off into the distance away from the camera. <laughs> Which is basically all the shout music video is. It feels very tongue-in-cheek. Mm-hmm. At, at least I hope it is. Um, especially when he's doing the guitar solo on the top of that cliff. Oh, God. Like yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, well, and, and it goes back to this idea of them not, like, being a studio band and not really wanting to play out that much. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm guessing that, like, music videos in general, it was probably difficult for them to just, you know, embrace the form. And uh, the other thing I was thinking of, too, is... Uh, a lot of their music videos, and we'll talk about Mother's Talk in a minute, because uh, this one definitely fits into this bowl, but a lot of their music videos, they kind of remind me of like early like Depeche Mode mm-hmm. music videos. And I think that makes sense, because I'm sure if I was a record label and I was telling a band or a director, like, okay, we want it to look like this, you know. But at the same time, Depeche Mode and their videos are always like, you know, primping and preening in front of the camera and, and dancing around and... When you watch a Tears for Fears music video, it's you can you can tell a little bit that they're just like we we don't want to be here doing this. Maybe. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a level of uncomfortable, mm-hmm. um, and it makes sense. I mean, they just they're, and they're not exactly very photogenic. Yeah, which is not guys. If you're listening, you're very handsome men. Yeah, but, yeah you're fine. But. <laughs> but yeah, like I think a lot of these other new wave bands that came around at the same time as Tears for Fears and I don't even know if you can really lump Tears for Fears in with them but regardless they were in the eyes of record labels and the public 
I think a lot of those bands were sort of packaged, like Teen Idols, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. And then when you see these guys, not only are they super serious, like studio musicians, but they're not like devilishly handsome by conventional standards. Yeah. And there's just, yeah, I don't know if there's like a level of uncomfortableness there, but it's just like, man, I, I guarantee when they're making those music videos, like, we would rather be doing anything else. Yeah. And they've <laughs> gone on record to say, too, if we had our choice, we wouldn't have been in any of those music videos. Mm-hmm. Um, especially Kurt Smith is known for saying that a lot. And I know Roland Dorzebel has come around to say he's not very happy with uh, the I Believe music video. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about I Believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's like a sexy Calvin Klein commercial, sort of. Again, this goes back to the whole, like, being packaged as teen idols, but that's not what they are. No. So if you haven't seen the I Believe music video, why don't you hit pause right now and just kind of soak that up for a second. <laughs> okay, so if if you didn't, or you just want a quick recap, it's basically just Roland Orzabal sitting around shirtless with, like, a pair of blue jeans pulled up to his nipples... With the top button undone. And he looks very uncomfortable. Does not want to be there. I don't know, like, why? Were they just... Uh, what, is, what? Do you know anything about this video? Why that happened? Well, the little bit I know is that they, I think they tried to recreate the, the sleeve for the single, mm-hmm. which was a self-portrait by Roland Orzabal after a show, like, hang out in his hotel room. Shirtless? Shirtless. Yeah. Ah, selfie by Roland. Um, so that was, I guess, the inspiration. But it's just, um, yeah, I uh, I don't know if it helps convey the mood of the song, and maybe that was why they went that direction. But I mm-hmm. know um, a few years later there was some British radio show he was on where they were celebrating songs from the big chair, and he talks about, like, yeah, I was shirtless in that music video. That wasn't a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> and, Lord. and then there's just, like, those moments where he's got his arms splayed and displaying like his armpit hair and then there's like another shot of his face it's kind of like those like when you go into like somebody's house mm-hmm. and there's like those pictures of those portraits of people that have like them like with their arms folded and then another close up of their face oh yeah yeah 80's Sears portrait like something yeah like Sears or Olin Mills sure so, God. It's, it's, it's a product of its time. And I'm sure there's a lot of some defenders. fans that yeah would defend it to its death. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's just uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's not like, ew, man with his shirt off. It just, it's, it's a weird thing. Like, seeing anybody shirtless who seems uncomfortable is just a naturally uncomfortable thing. <laughs> yeah. I feel uncomfortable for Roland Orzabal. Lord. Uh, can we talk about... The music video from Mother's Talk, or the music videos, as it were? Yeah, that's a big debacle. Why are there so many music videos for this? The very first one they did uh, was produced by Nigel Dick, but mm-hmm. he did not direct it, but he was responsible for curating it. Um, they did the music video, and it was horseshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of... Trying to use like a lot of like 8-bit effects in it, and Roland and Kurt saw the cut and they're like this is terrible like please don't release this and it was released uh. but is that the one with the little girl that's like yeah being, the little girl that they're doing like yeah. experiments so on? it's basically like Stranger Things like intercut with Tears for Fears intercut with like Oregon Trail like Apple II <laughs> graphics <laughs> yeah it's weird <clears throat> and it's and rightfully so I mean I would have been pissed too so mm-hmm. they went to Nigel Dick and said hey this sucks 
He's like, all right, well, let's make another one, and that'll be the one that we push to be the official video. Mm-hmm. And they did. And like I said, it was Nigel Dick's first the first music video he ever directed. Mm-hmm. And it's very shout-like. Yeah. Um, just I think they're hanging out like in Kurt Smith's backyard, like flying kites, and then there's just shots of random television footage. Yeah, is, is that the one with the, uh, the sepia-tone uh, family? No, that's uh, the, uh, the that's remix it. version. Okay. Came out in 86. So we're talking about the one with the newspaper, right? Yeah. With Harry Potter. Burning. And <laughs> Harry Potter rolling Orzable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Those Harry Potter rolling Orzable. <laughs> yeah, that... And again, the Depeche Mode comparison. Like, I, I watched the... I was like, where have I seen this before? And I watched Just Can't Get Enough and People Are People. Mm-hmm. And it's... I feel like those two music videos are... Like they they deeply inform the aesthetic of the Mother's Talk music videos. Yeah, and the second version, like the first Nigel Dick version, sure. I was actually at a club in Chicago, and they were taking requests. And I thought, ah, what the hell? I'll request Mother's Talk. And the key was every song had to have a music video. Yeah, and they played that version. It was crazy. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I'm the only person who's just like flipping his shit. Like everybody else is like, "What the hell is the this?" The good version, man. Um, and then the U.S. <laughs> single version is—it's—it's it's a worse version of the song for sure, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's—I don't know—it's got this weird like Leave It to Beaver vibe. So you've got this like sepia tone family, like 1950s, and then for Fallout, preparing for Fallout. There you go. Because the song is about World War Three and a children's book mm-hmm. based on my time with scenes from the big chair. Yeah. Based on uh, When the Wind Blows, which... And again, like, so was that was that a remix or was that just the single that was released in America? It's Why is it different? complete re-recording. Uh, was supposed to be sort of their jumping off point from transitioning from songs from the big chair to whatever they were going to do next, so they wanted to do a complete live arrangement in the studio huh. of that song. And they did. And it's... I don't know. I think it sort of takes the magic out of the original version. I really like the electronics, and I like the sampling. Mm-hmm. I'm not so much into the uh, bongos that are kind of, like, creeping up in the mix in the uh, new one. Yeah. I, uh, I tend to agree. Speaking of bongos... <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna talk about going to California in a minute. Uh, the other music video that really stuck out to me, well, there's 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 a couple of them. Let me. I'm, I'm looking at the back here so I can pick them out. Ah, Head Over Heels. What the fuck is that? I'm sorry for my language. <laughs> you didn't you didn't like it. I. It's not that I didn't like it. It was one of those things where my my jaw was just open. And I was like, what? It's just. <laughs> so again, if you, I'm sure everyone has seen this music video, mm. and this is another one where. I think I've seen clips of it, but I've never actually watched it straight through. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah. So when you, whenever you see clips of it, it, it was always the song where Roland Orzabal is just like singing in a library and trying to like seduce this librarian. <laughs> and I guess that's kind of what the music video is. But when you watch the clips on like VH1 shows or whatever, they kind of hide the fact that it's super weird and kind of creepy. <laughs> it's a little creepy. What there's there's one part 
where Roland Orzabal is singing and he just pulls a gun on the librarian and it, he pulls the trigger and it just says like bang and it's bang question mark yeah and then she yeah like do you want to bang and then she like does the uncle like I got your nose thing to him <laughs> and it's, why hasn't anyone ever told me that this was a thing before what I didn't I actually went two Halloweens ago dressed as Roland Orzabal from that music video <laughs> People got it, but, uh, yeah, I, um, I mean, it's the, I remember everybody wants to rule the world and shout growing up, but even more than those two, I always remembered Head Over Heels, because they rotated on MTV constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's probably the best out of that group of music videos, just yes. as far as it having a narrative and... Sure, sure, I agree with Kind of having, like, a lot of self-deprecating sense of humor to it. Mm-hmm. Just Kurt Smith being, like, the library janitor <laughs> yeah i guess and his role is like quietly being diminished oh not as bad as kurt was in i believe where he's reduced to just banging the triangle yeah <laughs> i uh, i think my favorite part of that music video is where the the keyboard player looks like dave coulier from full house yeah, ian stanley yeah ian stanley when he just walks up to the librarian's desk and he just like dumps his keyboard on the desk and then just hits like one note <laughs> <laughs> And I'm, I was always confused by that because I thought, like, is he competing with Roland for the affection of this librarian? Yeah. Or is he just cool leather guy coming in to, like, Here cause some trouble leather daddy? <laughs> and then he's, like, trying to impress the chimp at the end of the music video by making books fly out into his hand. Yeah. A lot of Ghostbusters uh, references. That's what I was thinking, too. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, it's certainly their silliest music video. Mm. Unless, of course, you count I Believe, which you may or may not, I don't know, <laughs> depending on your views on that. Uh, but I, I think you're right. It's probably their best, but it's also just completely off-the-wall bonkers. Mm-hmm. It's very uh, classic 80s video mm-hmm. in more ways than one. Yeah. Uh, the other video that really stuck out to me that I want to talk about before we get into some of the live performance stuff is the music video for Sowing the Seeds of Love. Oh, yeah. Which, again, I don't know if I've ever watched all the way through. I think I watched it for uh, th- that episode that we did, but I-, I didn't really, like, watch it closely, I suppose. And that's a really cool music video. Yeah. Just full stop awesome. And if anybody listening, if you go to Optimism Vaccine, I wrote an article about the director, Jim Blashfield. Hey, there we go. There, there's a plug. Plug um, and a half. Yeah, I'd say that's easily their best music video. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very imaginative. I really like Jim Blashfield's work. Yeah. Um, it's got this, like, Pee Wee Herman meets, uh, like, Monty Python vibe to it. <laughs> but it's also really deeply informed by Sgt. Pe- Pepper's era Beatles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people always would, would get on Oasis in the mid to late 90s for aping the Beatles. But then after watching that music video, I'm like, man, I bet they're rocking out to sow in the seeds. Uh, it's kind I, of endearing in a way, but... I like, too, when the uh, the woman who's hosting the, the concert, television show, whatever, she is going up to the band, and they're just kind of, like, standing there awkwardly. And she's like, what's your name? And he's like, uh, Roland Orzabal. She's like, Roland Orzabal. <laughs> Like, they all just clearly say their name, and then she repeats it in broken English. And it's like, what? You're not adding anything. We don't need a translation. She really struggles with the pronunciation of him to his name, too. God, yeah. It was was really bad. bad. And then they're, like, laughing at her. Yeah. 
That, yeah, there's so many moments in here where it's it's so spinal tap ish, except not in a way where you're laughing at the band. Like they're not getting stuck in the pods, you know, <laughs> before the Stonehenge song. But just the absurdity of this rock star life, and they're just like, yeah, you know, whatever, just going through the motions. Yeah, and I feel like it almost projects like what's going to happen to them years from now because. Mm-hmm. I get a sense that, like, especially, like, Kurt Smith is, like, tired as fuck by the... Excuse me. Tired by the end of the whole thing. <laughs> He's talking about, like, this is our hundredth gig in sunny Seattle. <laughs> and and if you watch all the way to the end of that documentary, that tour, they go everywhere. Yeah. Like, huge you, tour. There's, like, not one town in the U.S. that they miss. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I can't... I don't think anybody tours like that anymore. It's, no. I can see why they would have wanted to break up right after that tour. I mean, and when he says it's our 100th show, they still had, like, months of shows left after that. Yeah, outside of, like, I don't know, punk bands or hardcore bands, I can't think of anybody who's just like, yeah, we're going to tour 300 days out of the year. Yeah. Like, that's nuts. It's like, that's an entire year of their life that's just gone. Mm-hmm. Even though they're, like, so successful and so huge, like, 1985 may not as well exist for either one of those guys. Yeah. All right, well, I think now is a good time to kind of transition to the other stuff that you had me watch, which is a couple of live shows. Mm-hmm. So the first one is a very, very special DVD. <laughs> and I believe my instructions were, we're watching this, but if you, if you lose it, I will kill you. Uh, where, where did this come from? What, what is this? In my mind's eye. Mm-hmm. The version I gave you is actually from my, the box that I have for the uh, Herding Special Edition. Um, there is another uh, version that I have. It's actually a CD video from Malaysia. Um, but I lost it. I can't find it anywhere. <laughs> CD video? Yeah. Good lord. The um, VCD. There's the an VCD. antiquated format. Did you play that on your Philips CDI? Well, it's really weird because they have a menu, and the menu is just the front, like the first title card from Scenes from the Big Chair. Oh, that's weird. For In My Mind's Eye. Huh. But, um... Yeah, it's Malaysia um, for you. It's, um... So it's... The concert's from 1983. They're actually promoting the Way You Are single, Mm -hmm. um, which they don't wind up playing live, or if they did, didn't make the cut for this film. I think it was, like, it was originally, like, a BBC concert special, and it's, like, some intern just got a hold of the new editing equipment and went hog-wild on the images. Yeah, and, and that's the most frustrating part about this live show because we're talking about herding era tears for fears just busting out some of my favorite songs it's an incredible concert like mm-hmm. front to back solid and it's almost ruined because of the ridiculous <laughs> like public access level video editing that's going on here so we talked about mother's talk earlier and the uh, the stranger things <laughs> music video with the little girl and the horrible blue color filter <laughs> And the, the black leather, except for Roland. I think he's wearing like a, a half-zip sweater vest or something in that yeah. music video. Anyway, that version of Mother's Talk, there's this one part where Roland is singing and he kind of like ducks down and then this like electronic <laughs> grid flies over his head. And it, it, that's just like, you know, you roll your eyes for one second and then it's gone. Imagine a concert where that is happening like every 30 seconds. Like you're watching this amazing show and then all of a sudden it's just like, oh, cut to... 1980s computer graphic checkerboard where Roland Orzabal's head is <laughs> on a checker. It's like, what? It's the worst screensaver ever. 
It's it, it does. It looks like a 1980s screensaver. It's jarring. Uh, a lot of times they'll distort the footage and just like flip it around everywhere, and it just reeks of someone who had a new editing toy and they had to hit all the buttons. Yeah. It's unfortunate. It gets very distracting because, uh, like you said, it is a it's a really good show. Like they put on a hell of a performance. If I could just listen to it, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, but then you'd also miss uh, Roland Orzabal's insane hairdo. <laughs> They both have some amazing haircuts. Like, the variations on the mullet that we get to see throughout the, the course of all the DVDs that you had me watch, it's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. There's one where, like, Kurt Smith, you think he has this, like, close crop, like, short mullet, but then you realize that it's short except for the massive ponytail mullet that he's yeah. got going. It's like a double-layer mullet. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Very, uh, <laughs> a lot of work on that. I don't know. I, I prefer the Kurt Smith, like, slick-back... Real tight, like, Gary Newman look. He looks kind of like an Italian mobster. He does kind of look like an Italian mobster. <laughs> like, I feel like if I, like, if he heard me disparage one of the Tears for Fears albums we had to listen to, he'd cut off my pinky finger or something. Put a horse head in my bed. Hey, send it to Amanda. Mm-hmm. There you go. Now, the other live show that you had me watch was Going to California. Mm-hmm. And... What is this other than a special feature on scenes from the the big chair? Yeah, it is bizarre that it comes as a special feature on this uh, DVD copy. Yeah, but it's like longer than the regular feature. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was an official video release in 1990, mm. sort of to promote the Seeds of Love album and the tour. And uh, I think they probably broke up before that was even released. Oh wow! Because um, that's like one of their last shows. Okay. Before 2004. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's from the Holly, not the Hollywood Bowl, the Santa Barbara Bowl. A little different. Yeah. Not quite as big as the Hollywood Bowl. But no. It's still there. I mean, there's, there's a massive crowd there. Yeah, and it's weird, too, because throughout the course of the night, you, you never get a sense of how big or small the crowd is. Mm-hmm. Because there's all these shots in the beginning. First of all, the beginning starts off with uh, Oletta Adams singing, I Believe. Mm-hmm. And it's great. Like, I... As much as I don't really enjoy this era of Tears for Fears as much as some fans, this that that performance in the beginning really sold me on her as a vocalist. Yeah. It was great, and then you look out in the crowd, and it's just like, what there is? Is there like a hundred people here? Is there ten thousand? I can't tell. Like it's so it's such a weird angle, and you just you can't really tell. And then later they cut to crowd footage. And there's tons of people. And you can't tell either with the clapping because it's hard to tell if it's canned applause or if they actually mic the audience or what's going on. So that part's a little bit off. And then I think more so than anything, this concert really drove home the point that I don't like the Seeds of Love album very much, (laughs) which I know is heresy. People are already angrily typing comments on their keyboard. And that's not to say I dislike everything from that album. I think it's got some amazing points to it. I think it's got incredible production, great songwriting. It just doesn't stick with me. And hearing some of these songs live, that really resonated with me more so than ever. Really? Yeah. There's that whole stretch kind of towards the end where they play like probably like three or four songs off that album in a row, and I was just Mm. like, uh... And then there's another... There's, there's two other things that really bothered me about this. One was... I guess it's a two-in-one. Bongos, Magoo, and the backup dancers. <laughs> who are just, like, dancing around the background. And then at one point during a song... 
Maybe it was was it during Mother's Talk? Uh, they just do like a quick Mother's Talk tag at the end of uh, Pale Shelter, I think. Yeah, but they're they're like yelling in the mic, so yeah, uh huh, and I'm just like, oh god! Like if I was Kurt Smith, I would have just taken my bass over my head and smashed them into oblivion. I think that's why he quit. <laughs> yeah. So between them and and just like yeah, Bongo's Magoo going nuts in the background, and then. Tom, Thomas Dolby playing his like Back to the Future sax. <laughs> that's actually uh, Will Gregory from Goldfrap. Oh, that's a weird thing that I didn't know. Yeah. Playing yeah. a ridiculous synth saxophone. Yeah, that was in a, something. In a big lab coat. Yeah, big big lab coat. So yeah, that was just it was so bizarre. And then they do, they do a couple of covers. One of which makes sense. They do Beatles "All You Need Is Love," which not in my top 100 Beatles songs, but it makes sense given some of the leanings on Seeds of Love. But holy crap. There, see, I didn't swear. (laughs) When they did the Saints Go March again, I was just like, ah, don't do it. Don't do it. They keep cutting to this guy in the crowd who's just like loving it and clapping. Love it! (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) What, what what are your thoughts on this performance? Why why was it imperative that I watch it? I know you insisted that I watch this special feature. Well, it's all part of the history. Um, I think it's an interesting era. Um, I <clears throat> it's another video that I got off of eBay, the VHS copy. Mm-hmm. And um, excuse me, they. Uh, I just feel like that era. There's like way too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. Like, there's just... The band is too big. I think, like, they've perfected their live setup now. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of impressive. Like, they're able to do some things, but it just loses its fluidity. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's uh, there's a lot... There's just too much going on. I think you really <coughs> keyed in on that well. But, yeah, like, I think their live setup now, they're able to really put the weight of a lot of these extra instruments on one or two people. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when we saw them, they had one backup singer and she was used sparingly and I would probably argue properly. Yeah. <laughs> and then the guy they had playing keyboard, he had like three keyboards and, you know, a couple of sampler things set up and he was he was ready to go and he handled everything. There wasn't like 27 bongo players and backup dancers and it's, yeah, it's yeah. just it's it's kind of distracting, and it feels like they're just kind of taking a big dump on their past. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even do, though do they tell. Like, play the big hits, but like I don't know, it feels like they if they had had a choice, they wouldn't have been bothered to even play like Mad World or any of their other really good. And obviously, they're promoting a new album at this point, but sure, it just sort of it feels like they're trying too hard, and mm-hmm. um, that's not to say it's bad. But not my favorite era either, at least as far as live performances, especially because you go back to the live performances and scenes from the big chair and the in my mind's eye, like there's such like an energy and they're so like and granted, going to California like finds them at the end of their run together, so maybe they're just like tired. Yeah, just um, burned out, tired, that makes sense. I can see that. But a little just a little too adult contempo. Little too adult contempo. Oh my god, the keyboard warriors are going to be so upset with us. <laughs> All right. There's one other thing that we definitely need to talk about. Uh, before we move on to that, though, is there anything else that I, that you think that we missed, whether it's music videos, whether it's stuff from these live performances, anything you really want to key in on? Well, um, 
I was curious if you watched any of the uh, Hurting Era music videos. I did. I did. I, uh, I, well, one, of the, one of the DVDs, I, I think, like, you have these three DVDs that are just music videos, and they seem like very slight variations on one another, so I definitely had one of those in, and I was, and I was watching the music videos. And they're, again, weird. <laughs> but... I, I don't know. They're, they're charming. There's there's an endearing charm to what they're doing because they're so young. And plus, I love The Hurting. I think that's probably my favorite mm-hmm. Tears for Fears album. So, I think they're great. Like, Pale Shelter. and Yeah, it's awesome. That music video, by the way. Mm-hmm. It's just like that one scene where they're, like, walking through a field of paper airplanes. Mm-hmm. And there's a shot. Like, it's clearly a blooper, but they left it in. Mm-hmm. Where a paper airplane smashes Roland Orsable right in the eye. <laughs> yep. Beautiful. Hey, that's what really matters. <laughs> All right. So, we talked music videos. We talked live footage. Let's get even deeper. This is how deep our deep cuts are getting. Oh, shit. The deepest of deep cuts. Ladies and gentlemen, not only is Stephen Coleman, the man sitting across from me at this table right now, a Tears for Fears super fan, he is such a huge fan that a decade ago, he made a Tears for Fears documentary about himself. You self-indulgent bastard. <laughs> what, what, what is this, other than a student film that I watch? This was for a documentary film class that I took uh, one of my last semesters at the University of Minnesota. It was taught by Emily Goldberg, who is a filmmaker, um, not that well known, I think, but if you look her up, you'll find some good things. Anyway, IMDb page? IMDb. All right. Uh, Venus of Mars. Hmm. Um, so she commissioned this, and we uh, I just sort of went for it, and it took... It's only ten minutes long, but it took forever to do. Mm-hmm. And um, there were a lot of things that I cut out. Like, I actually did an entire scene where I'm arguing with my then-girlfriend... And it's totally phony, but I think there was a lot of realism in her, like, arguing with me about Tears for Fears. <laughs> um, my brother, I know, was very nervous, because we, a few years after this documentary, we went to a show in Vegas, and he says this line in the documentary, it's very tongue-in-cheek, but he makes fun of Tears for Fears, and he was worried people were going to, like, want to kill it. <laughs> um, but he was he was acting, like, that Oh, was yeah, acting. he was acting. He's actually a fan. But... Yeah, ten years ago. And then Heather Burns, I believe, she was the webmaster for Kurt Kurt Smith's website, and she caught wind that I was doing this documentary. Mm -hmm. Apparently she sent it to them. Oh my. And I know I've gotten confirmation from Kurt Smith that he actually saw it. It was (laughs) on their official website before they switched to whatever they have now. Yeah. So I'd get, like, tons of emails from people, like, from California saying, Hey, I watched it. It was really good. Which was nice. (laughs) Yeah. And then, um, the big moment, though, was right after this was done, and supposedly it was sent to both Roland and Kurt, I got backstage passes to a show they did in Orange County, California. Mm Mm-hmm. This was going to be the second time I met them. And but it was going to be a big moment. Like I flew all the way from Minnesota. Well, hold on. Oh. Pause. Yeah. What was the first time you met him? I've never talked about this on the podcast. I don't think you have. 
The first time I met them was the first time I saw them in concert. This is 2004 on the Everybody Loves a Happy Ending tour. And they were playing at the State Theater in Minneapolis. And it was it was a weekday, and I remember I was like skipping biology lab to like go to this concert. Mm-hmm. And I got to the venue probably four hours before the show, just walked around downtown Minneapolis. As soon as I get off the bus, right across the street from the theater, I see this entourage walking towards me. And at the front is Kurt Smith. I lost my shit. It was just unbelievable. <laughs> so, <clears throat> I can't even... I, ha- I had a copy of Everybody Loves a Happy Ending just in case, but never thinking it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then he takes it, or he kind of walks past me, and I'm just kind of like, Ugh, autograph! And I see him sort of like stop in his tracks. I swear to God, he rolled his eyes, <laughs> turns around and signs the CD... And I'm apologizing. I'm saying, like, I'm sorry. I just, I don't want to bother you, but I'm really looking forward to the show. I'm a lifelong fan. He kind of started laughing. And then all of a sudden, somebody snatches the book out of his hand. I think somebody's stealing it. It was Roland Orzabal. No. Wearing this big-ass, long, green coat. Crazy head of hair. Like, until you see it in person, it's insane, <laughs> this guy's hair. Legendary head of hair. But it was weird, too, because I had, like... I kind of grew up idolizing them in a way. I thought they'd be like way bigger than me, and they're both tiny little dudes. Tiny little dudes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so going back to the the documentary, the second time that you met them, you got the backstage passes. Oh well, the first time I met them too, that uh-huh. same night I got backstage at the theater. Oh, so I got backstage twice. Yeah, look at you, Mister Fancy. So I got to hang out for a little while at Roland Orsbowl, which that was just like. In, it, I don't know. I don't think I. They always say don't meet your idols, and I think that this is a true example of that. Mm-hmm. And that'll be a follow up to the California show. But I finally meet him, and he's just really wants to get out of there. <laughs> he's like, I want to go upstairs. I want to drink my wine. But he was nice enough to stop for a photo op. And, yeah. Uh, but that was it. Like, it was just really brief, and I'm sure he didn't like some 19 year old kid going, hey, I've been a fan since I was two. So he pieced out pretty quickly. So if you could meet Kurt Smith and Roland Orzabal again, what would you say to them? What would you do differently? Or would you still do the awkward embarrassment thing? I probably would do the awkward embarrassing thing because I don't know if I could... um, Yeah, I mean, it probably would be easier to talk to Kurt Smith, obviously, but Roland Orzabal is just like a dude who's like on another planet. (laughs) Uh, and I and it's always like one of those things like growing up as a kid I always fantasized like well, what would I talk to him about like he'd probably think I'm a really cool guy like we'd probably like hang out and no <laughs> he's uh <laughs> you should here, here's the best opener you can do if you meet Tears for Fears just go up to Roll and be like hey man great show you should open with a prisoner though <laughs> I'm sure that would that's go over actually really probably well. what I would do next time like just like go all out and just make jokes and just not take it. So damn seriously. Yeah. But I would Psyching still... yourself out, Steve Coleman. I would still be a nervous wreck, though. I think. Yeah. Even though I've been there two or three times, it's it's not easy, folks. And I hear all these stories about other fans who, like, travel and they meet him and he's very nice, he's very engaging. Not that he's ever, like, a dick to me, but... Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a young man and not a... <laughs> well, a, a very young, awkward man, too. Yeah. Who... Yeah. You know, by my estimation, after watching your ten-minute-long documentary, uh, looked like a lacrosse-playing wakeboarder. Yeah, 
Yeah, it was awful. Um, <laughs> I think I've improved since then. I've at yeah. least uh, grown into my nose a little bit. I don't see you playing lacrosse anytime soon. No. So, all right, Steve, is there anything else you want to touch on for this episode? No, we really went deep there. We went deep, <laughs> man. We went Mark Marin. All right, thanks for listening. If you are listening right now, do us a big favor. Head over to iTunes. Make sure you rate and review the OpVac cast. That is the podcast network that is hosting this very show. Please, if you use iTunes, rate us. Review us. It makes us more visible. The more visible we are, then the more likely it is that people will listen to us. And why does listenership and visibility matter, Steve? I'm glad you asked. You didn't ask, but I'm going to pretend like you did. You read my mind. I totally did. Yeah, that's how close we are. When Actually, people don't know this. When one Steve meets another, you can read each other's thoughts. So, it's important that we get this podcast heard because we are starting a hashtag campaign. In fact, that campaign has already begun, and it is for the Tears for Fears show in Grand Rapids. Steve, tell the people about it. Hashtag Mother's Talk GR. Cuff and I would love to hear Tears for Fears before Mother's Talk. Yep. And again, I say it all the time. I know they're going to have a great show. It's probably going to be a very similar set list to what we saw a year ago. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a little bit of a picky consumer and just say, hey, maybe throw in a song you haven't done in a while. Mm-hmm. And Mother's Talk would be ripe for a new, uh, new stage reworking, I think. Hashtag Mother's Talk GR. That's the hashtag. Use it. You tweet at the band. You tweet at Roland. You, tre- you tweet at Kurt. Whoever you got to tweet at, make it happen. And do it quick, because I think rehearsals are probably starting for those guys. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know that I'll be wearing Harry Potter glasses and throwing newspaper at Roland Orzabal the whole time. <laughs> Maybe that'll help. I don't know. Uh, with that said, if you want to follow me and Steve on Twitter, uh, Steve, you are at Colmania. And how do you spell that? That is at K-O-H-L-M-A-N-I-A. And I'm at Steve Cuff. That's at Steve C-U-F-F. We'd love it if you followed us on Twitter. And hey, we're going to be in Grand Rapids. You want to drink a beer with us at Founders and you're not a creep weirdo? Uh, you can awkwardly drink a beer with Steve Coleman and maybe less awkwardly drink a beer with me. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe we'll both be awkward. Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> We'll be there all day. I'm just giving you shit. All right, yeah, we'll we'll probably be drinking there all day. That's correct. So, yeah, Mother's Talk GR, that's the hashtag. Make sure you use it. Make sure you rate us. Make sure you review us. And if you have any questions, feel free to leave a comment on our website, optimismvaccine.com, or you can email us, optimismvaccine at gmail.com, and we will most certainly address your questions on air on the show. Sound good? Mm Mm-hmm. All right, see you next week. Yeah.